Well, this is uh, round two for today for me and for uh, Ashley, our worship leader. Uh, we had the privilege of being up bright and early before the sun was for the sunrise service this morning. And uh, I actually got to preach this year as part of that. And I uh, got to preach kind of a rough draft of this. And uh, this is, for us, the end of a series in which we have been focusing on the person of Jesus, the, the Savior that we call Jesus, who on this day, uh, we recognize that he was raised from the dead, uh, and he is risen. He is not here. He is risen, just as he told you. And so uh, it, it was a cool experience being out there as the sun supposedly rose. There were clouds in the way, so we didn't really get to experience that too much. But for me, it, it was an exciting moment because uh, our sunrise service, where we partner with a couple other churches, we gather together on the campus of Wesleyan College. And uh, there's something special to me about being on a college campus during springtime. Uh, springtime, for me, when I was a freshman and a sophomore in college, was a monumental experience. It was one of my favorite parts of the entire year. And it was a season and a time where life and death were truly experienced. Springtime and flowers came alive and my grades went to die. It was an experience every single April. It just, just you know, the sun gets brighter and the, the trees are prettier and the girls are prettier. And all of a sudden, somebody called that, uh, and all of a sudden... My grades would start to go. But it was this experience when I was a freshman and sophomore especially. When I was at Young Harris College up in the North Georgia mountains where I got to truly experience the joy of springtime, the joy of Easter season, the joy of things blooming and becoming new out of the dreariness of the winter that was. And on Young Harris it was really incredible to watch as the the once dead limbs all of a sudden had blooms on them. The once empty flower beds were all of a sudden full of tulips. And it was this amazing sight as the dogwood tree would bloom by the chapel just in time for Easter. And the tulips, the, these beds of tulips that were all around the campus would come into this full orchestra of colors every single April. Uh, I was so impacted by the experience that when I transferred to the University of Georgia, I made a point every single year to go back to Young Harris and experience them all again. And when I got engaged to my wife, Emma, during our four-week engagement process, proposal process. Now, I mentioned this at the, at the sunrise service, and Tim misunderstood what I said when I said it was a four-week proposal process. He thought that that meant it took her four weeks to say yes. Um, it actually was a well-orchestrated plan that took four weeks to ask the question in a very strategic way. So, there you go. She said yes on the first try. But as part of that process, phase number three was tulip season at Young Harris College, going to the campus and experiencing the tulips. And it, it was just a very special part of my life to see how something that was seemingly dead one moment all of a sudden came back to life. Now, this is a little bit what the season of Lent into Easter is like. Now, Lent is the 40-day period, not counting Sundays, from Ash Wednesday 
uh, which this year was back towards the early part of March, from Ash Wednesday all the way up until today, Easter Sunday. And it's a period that historically has been a time of self-reflection. It's been a time where people will possibly give something up. You, you probably, even in non-church circles here, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? Like it's a diet program or something. But people will give up things during the season of Lent in order to kind of focus on their own spiritual walk and, and to grow through that process. And during this time period, we as a church, we've been going through this series called Who is Jesus? And it's been interesting as we have gone along through each of the different things about who is Jesus. And, and for those of you who, who might have missed some Sundays during this, what we've done is we have actually looked at what Jesus said about himself. We figured what better source for who is Jesus than Jesus himself. So we have been looking at, in the Gospel of John, there are a series of I am statements. One of them is, I am the bread of life. And with that, we talked about how Christ is supposed to be our source of life. Christ is supposed to be the thing that we turn to for our trust. The, the song we sang earlier about, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the water wherever you... I forgot the next line. But the, you get the idea, that idea of trust, that idea of, of surrendering everything to God and, and letting Christ be our sole source. We talked about how Christ is the light who brings light into a dark world and, and gives us a way to see. We talked how Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, that we don't have to guess what the right way to go is. Jesus himself is the right way. And as we've been looking at all these things, we, we discover through this that there are so many things about Jesus, and as we discover things about Jesus, we begin to discover that there are things about ourselves that might be inadequate. So there are areas where Jesus might be strong enough. The song we sang earlier, Christ is strong in us. Christ might be strong enough, but we, we may be weak. And it's through these periods, like Lent, that we begin to see that a little bit. And I believe that to truly appreciate new life, I know at least for me, when I was on a college campus, uh, part of experiencing the joy of new life, of springtime, was going through the experience of the winter. It was going through the experience of things being barren. And, and for us, I believe that there's a certain sense that we have to recognize things that were once dead in order to appreciate the things that have come to life. Now, about 15 years ago, there was a movie that came out uh, that you may have seen. Uh, most of you in the room probably at least are familiar with it. But it was called The Sixth Sense. And there was a little boy in this movie who had a secret. Does anybody remember what his secret was? That really wasn't orchestrated well at all. All right, he, he would say, this is what he said, I see dead people. Yeah, it's kind of creepy to hear people whispering that to you in a full room. Um, never do that again. But he, he would... He said that to uh, Bruce Willis's character, and it, it was kind of a creepy line. It was kind of a creepy movie, but it was actually a very interesting movie with an a interesting twist at the end. Um, but there, there was one thing I remember very vividly about that movie. It was that um, pastors couldn't stay away from it. Every preacher had to sneak that in a sermon somewhere. 
I see dead people too, they would say kind of cleverly. And I'm hoping that in the 15 years that have passed that this has gone from being cliche to retro, because retro is actually a good thing, right? So I'm hoping that this is, is a good thing for this morning, because I think that there's a lot of truth in that. I think there's a lot of truth in what those pastors would say when they said, I see dead people too. We see people all around us every day who are struggling, who are dead in their transgressions, who are not living life to the fullest. There are people, and maybe you are one, this morning where hope seems to be lost, where maybe your job is hit a dead end, maybe your marriage is hit a dead end, maybe your relationship with your parent or with a sibling has come to a bit of a crisis. Not a crisis like the coffee is out on Sunday morning, but a crisis that's more serious than that, where hope seems to be lost, where death seems to be the only thing that you could use to describe the situation you find yourself in. And so it's in those moments, in those periods, where we turn to the things going on in the world around us where we feel like there isn't hope, that we say to ourselves, you know, I, I, see, I see dead things around me. And we have to ask ourselves, where can we turn to for this hope? Where can we turn to to possibly solve the crisis that we find ourselves in? And as the years have gone by, I've realized that there's actually a little twist on the little boy's famous line that I think really speaks a lot about myself and maybe it speaks a little bit about you. And I think that it's not only I see dead people, but I think that there are times, and Lent helps bring this about, that I kind of have to admit that I see dead in me. I see things where I've fallen short. I see things where I, I seem hopeless. I see things where I have anxious thoughts. I see things where, where my words aren't pure, where my actions aren't just. I see things within me where I've fallen short. And I realize that this idea of, of, of deadness is something we have to acknowledge in order to move into the new life. And so the question for us of what hope can possibly be found for us uh, is, is a question that's not only for me, but it's a question, I believe, for all of us. Now, in your bulletin, you have uh, a little sheet we call message notes. And these probably won't be on the screen, but at the top of the message notes, there's a scripture from Colossians. And I believe that this scripture um, challenges us this morning with this idea of new life. What does it mean to live into the new life that's brought about by the resurrection? I'm going to read it for you this morning. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he goes through a whole litany of things we'll get to in a minute. But there, there are several things that stick out to me within that passage that really challenge me on this idea of new life. Uh, for one thing, it says to put our hearts on things above, to put our mind on things above. It says that our life is now hidden with Christ, and we're called to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. 
And perhaps it's somewhere within these words that the hope that we're looking for can be found this morning. Now, a few weeks ago, I was in kind of an impromptu meeting in one of our, uh, my fellow staff members' offices, and uh, it was me and him and our senior pastor, Tim, and uh, Tim mentioned something, and I immediately responded, that's a really bad idea. I mean, I just didn't even, didn't even blink. I just was like, bam, that's a bad idea. Didn't even really think about it. And, and then as a few days went by, I kind of started reflecting on the way that I said it. I started reflecting on kind of the attitude that I had towards it, and I started realizing that there was, there was something kind of within me that caused me to react that way. Perhaps you've been in situations like that before where you've said something to someone and you kind of took out your frustration on them without realizing that your, your frustration really was directed towards something else. And so I started reflecting on it, and uh, as these things tend to happen, um, it was a few days after that that it was my turn in the rotation with our staff here to do the staff devotion. And so I, I was reflecting on that, and I said, you know what, I was not in a good place when I kind of reacted that way. And so I did a devotion uh, where I referenced Psalm 19.14. Now, Psalm 19.14 uh, is a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture, and it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. And I talked about how I was convicted in that moment where I kind of snapped in response I was convicted in that moment and, and kind of said, you know, I don't think that the words of my mouth were very pleasing to God. I don't think that the meditations of my heart, the actions within me, were very pleasing to God. And so I, you know, kind of wrapped it up and we spent some time and some reflective prayer individually. And it, it was a pretty good devotion, I think. And uh, we kind of went through it. And then we weren't even like two minutes further into the meeting. And I, I said something snarky. Um, which I know is a shock for uh, a lot of you. Um, but I, I said something kind of sarcastic, a little snarky, and wouldn't you know it, but like three people like from the other end of the table, hey, let the words in your mouth and meditation in your heart. I mean, they're just jumping all over me because I, I was just like, I was just like, boom, right back out at it. And then a couple of days go by, and I was standing in the workroom with a couple of people on staff, and something else came up, and I, I had another little snarky moment, and and somebody turns to me, you know, may the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart. And I'm sitting there going, thanks. And then there was another meeting where we had, and I, I, was, even, I was even worse than that. I mean, it just kind of kept going. And I, I was like, you know, this whole idea of like there's dead in me was just kind of like, you know, writing the sermon for me for this morning. And I, I you know, just had to go like, you know, on hands and knees to my boss and go, I'm sorry for what I said to you and the way I said it. I mean, really, it was bad. And, and I, I just realized in all of that that there, there's a lesson to be learned from this experience. And that lesson is don't ever do a devotion. Oh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God, because it's going to come back to haunt you. Always do devotions on things that you've mastered. But that's not always practical. What I realized through that experience is, is that there are things within me that I want to change. There are things within me that I feel should be better. There are things within me that I wish reflected the life that should be in me. But I'm not always there. But I believe in order to experience new life, we have to see the things that are dead around us and we have to see our own need 
for new life. We have to learn to see what is dead, even what's dead in us. And so we go through the season of Lent, and as we get to the end of Lent, as, as we did this past week during Holy Week, we reflect on the cross. And we reflect on the cross as, as a place of punishment where Christ died for our sake, where Christ made a sacrifice for our sake. The things that were dead within us died with Christ on that cross. And then we arrive at Easter morning. Now, each gospel presents the resurrection in a slightly different way. Now, the key element is in all of them. Christ is risen, just as he told you he would be. That, that's there in every single one of them. But what changes is in each one, there's kind of different characters involved. So you see there are different perspectives on how they found out that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But it was the one that Walt read for us so well this morning that I believe is my favorite of all of them because it has my favorite line in all of the resurrection accounts. You might have heard this, and it's actually printed in your message notes. It says, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here he has risen. And that line, why do you look for the living among the dead, is an intriguing line. It's one of the most intriguing lines in all of Scripture. It's as though they are saying to these women who have come to meet Jesus at his burial ground, at his grave, they're saying, what in the world are you doing in a graveyard looking for someone who's alive? There's no reason for someone who's alive to be laying here in this grave. O ye of little faith. And it's a reminder that the death that took place on that cross on Friday was not the final chapter. There was another chapter. And it was a chapter that was all about life. But so often I feel like today we make the same mistake. We make the same mistake in our lives. We wallow in our shortcomings. We wallow in the things that we want to change but never take the time to change. And we, we begin to see that we on our own are hopeless. But through the cross, all those things have come to die. And if what Colossians says is true, if we've been raised with Christ, shouldn't we be living as though we are more alive? And so I think the question for us today is not why are you looking for the living among the dead, but the question for us might be, why are we who are living looking as though we are dead? Why are we who should be full of life and full of joy looking as though we are dead? If Christ is truly risen, shouldn't we look a little more alive? Now, in the Colossians passage, Paul goes through this whole series of things. And he's going through, and he talks about how uh, you should put to death the things of the earthly nature. And he goes through a, a long list of things, sexual immorality, greed, and purity. And those are the things that we're supposed to put away. And it's not simply a matter of defining what's right and defining what's wrong. I believe it's also a matter of these are the things that you really ought to leave behind you, that ought to 
die on that cross. But it doesn't just leave you there with these are the things that you should put away. Paul continues with this. There's an alternative. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. For Paul, this is what it means to be raised with Christ. This is what it means to experience the risen Christ within our own lives. It's not just a matter about putting away certain things. It's also a matter about a change that takes place within us. It's a matter of transformation. When I lived in Athens, there was a guy that I was uh, pretty good friends with, and he had uh, played football in high school and actually was a walk-on at Georgia and uh, played minimally for a year. He got to carry somebody's shoulder pads out one day, I think. Um, but he uh, was just kind of your typical jock. And uh, we used to joke around with him about, um, you know, hey, uh, showered past couple of days. Um, what you eating for lunch? Like, you know, a whole ham. I mean, you know, I mean, he was just kind of your, your, your typical jock guy, big guy, ate a lot. Um, showers were optional. Uh, he kind of wore gym shorts and a t-shirt every single day. Um, shaved when it was convenient, and then he met a girl. And when he met this girl, all of a sudden, I went back to visit. It was after I was already living here. I went back to visit, and, uh, and he, he, was, he was looking pretty good. He, he was wearing uh, this shirt that had a collar on it. Uh, it was an interesting concept, and he, he looked like he had shaved um, recently. And I said, Alan, when's the last time you showered? He said, today. I said, cool, me too. Um, and it was just this interesting transformation that took place within him that, that all of a sudden something changed in his life and, and there was something different about him. But not only were his clothes smelling better and nicer uh, and he was more just enjoyable to be around, but his countenance changed as well. There was joy within his life for what was going on in his life. And I believe that that's part of what Paul is calling us to be. It's not just a matter about getting clean clothes on and, and, and cleaning up. It's not just a matter of putting away the things that are of our earthly nature. It's about living into being people of compassion. It's about living in to being people who are forgiving one another and are bound together by love. And the last part is, I think, one of the key things for us as we talk about the risen Christ, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I don't know about you, but one of the things I struggle with the most in my relationship with the Lord is that idea of trust, that idea of peace, of believing that Christ will come through for me. And so, over the course of the past seven weeks, we've asked this question, who is Jesus? And as we arrive today on Easter Sunday, there's an answer that comes from Jesus himself in John chapter 11 
that I believe kind of sums them all up and gives them all a foundation to stand on. In John 11, verses 25 through 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And there are two words there that he uses to describe himself, and I think they each have extreme importance. One is resurrection, and the other is life. Now, resurrection is about something new. It's about a transformation that takes place in which we experience something new within us. And then there's the aspect of life, the belief that what happens in this world is not the end for us, that death is not the final chapter, that there's life beyond the grave, that we can be living even though things might at times seem hopeless for us. There's a guy uh, who's a Christian speaker, um, he's a professor for many years, a Christian writer, uh, and this is a bit overdone, so if you've heard it, just bear with it for a second, but I think it has extreme significance for this idea we've been talking about this morning. Uh, it's a guy by the name of Tony Campola, and he um, has lived his whole life in West Philadelphia, and the neighborhood that he lived in transitioned, and he, he decided to stay there. And so he stayed there, and he found himself uh, all of a sudden in a completely uh, black community, and his church was completely a, a black church. And so he, he went every single week, and he kind of got to be a part of the preaching rotation, and, and one day they had this preach-off. Um, now, we don't have preach-offs here because y'all would just leave, um, like, halfway through the first one, uh, if we said that there was going to be more than one sermon. But uh, they had this preach-off in which there were multiple people preaching. And it came to be Tony Campola's time to preach, and he got up and he preached. And in his words, he said, I was good. He said, I, I was doing really good that day. And he said, you know, when you, you preach in, in a black church... You know, they're, they're giving you feedback, and they're, they're, they're working with you. And he said, and they, they were grooving with me that day. Everything was going well. And then I went and sat down by my pastor. And he said, you did pretty good, boy. And he said, I knew when he said, he, he, said, he called me boy, that I was in trouble. I was like, all right. And uh, Tony Campola looks at his pastor and says, I was, pre- I was pretty good. I don't know if you can top that. Uh, and then his pastor said, let me go show you how it's done. And so the pastor gets up. And he starts preaching, and uh, Tony Campola said, and this is one of the most famous things he's ever said, um, he said that he preached for an hour and a half, goodness gracious, preached for an hour and a half, one simple phrase, and the phrase was this, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And and he kind of built it up, and he got the crowd into it, and he said, you know, uh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And they, they, they would do the but Sunday's coming part, so let's try. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And he would talk about how it's Friday. And on Friday, there is death and there's a lack of hope. And there's a sense of hopelessness that takes place. And there is oppression and all the things of this world. But Sunday is coming. And on Sunday, there's an empty 
And he would go back and forth between these things. And he would talk about the things of this world that seemed futile. The things of this world that seemed hopeless. And he would say, but it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. And they were going. And they were going back and forth. And he said, Tony Kimpole is describing the scene. And he says that they just were wiped out by it. And I believe that the call for us this morning, I believe that the call for us on Easter Sunday is to not continue to live as Friday people. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Because Friday has passed and Sunday's coming. Sunday has come and Sunday is here for us to take hold of. And so the question for us this morning is will we leave our anxieties with Friday and cling to the peace that's found on Sunday? Will we leave the dead things within us, our impure thoughts, our our impure motives on Friday and set our minds on Sunday? Will we silence the words that come out of our mouths and reveal the dead things that are within us that belong on Friday? And will we start speaking words of action and truth filled with compassion and kindness and gentleness and peace and love and forgiveness? Will we start to live as though Christ is living? Why would he be among the dead? And so this morning, some of you might be sitting out here and this whole idea of who is Jesus seems like a foreign thing to you. And I believe that this morning that it's an opportunity to come and meet the Savior who on Friday laid it all on the cross, taking away your sins, taking away my sins, so that we could put away the things of earth and set our minds on things above because Sunday is about life. Sunday is about resurrection, something new. And for some of you, you may be like me and you know Jesus, but you don't always live as though he's alive. You don't always live as though he's alive within you and that you can cling to the things of above. And so our, our band's going to come back up and we're going to sing um, a song that we sing a pretty good bit in this service. And uh, there's a line in it that is, is truly impactful um, and I believe it's a good takeaway for us this morning. The, the song is called Savior King, and there's a line in it that says, Hope which was lost now stands renewed. And so this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know what struggles you may have walked in with. I don't know what anxieties might be ruling in your heart and your mind. But I believe that this morning, our risen Savior wants to meet you here and restore and renew the hope which might seem lost in your life.